My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. And joining me today is a former student, a former client, somebody I worked with in New York, who's from New Jersey, who just happens to be in town, who I ran into outside of my building, chance meeting, Keith Armonitis. Hello, Keith. Hello, Pilar. Welcome back. To Los Angeles. Yes. And to the new on the page compound. Yes. For you. Yes. For you. It's, we've been here a couple of years, but you, you were, you, you last visited the crappy one over the 7-Eleven, right? I, the one that had a lot of character. Character. That's yes. right. Not crap. Yes. Character. And, uh, and you were telling me too that like, like when I came up, you were actually talking to a uniformed gentleman and I just thought yes. he was a butt of yours, but it turned out, um, he no, was no, no. questioning you for yeah. loitering. <laughs> Yes, he, he saw me casing the joint. As, uh, you know, as if anybody actually gets here, you'll know the furnishings here are amazing. So, um, yeah, he was because uh, I, I was looking for the particular building, and the one next door has one two four one six, and then the one on the other side is one two four zero eight, and then so I figured this was the building, except it says dentistry. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's, it's all very secret. Yes. And you can get your script fixed. You can get your teeth fixed. Lots of things can happen here at On the Page. Right. Um, but I believe very much in chance encounters, especially mm. in the industry, those accidental meetings that always turn into good fortune. And the fact that just out of luck, I was getting out of a lift just when you were casing the joint because mm-hmm. we didn't have anything set up. Um, tells me that, you know what, instead of just talking small talk, let's find out what Keith is doing here and put him on the podcast. Because it turns out you actually have quite a story to tell. So tell everybody what's been going on with your work, why you're here in Los Angeles. Sure. So I'm actually, I'm actually here to film my first, or to film, geez, we're still using these colloquialisms from back in the day, right? What What, what, What else would we call it? I don't know, recording? It just doesn't that sound doesn't the same. doesn't sound right. right. Yeah. So um, I was actually making my first film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a short called Mist, M-I-S-S-E-D. Uh, and it's with a uh, Dutch director uh, by the name of Foka Berenson. Um And, you know, he and I had actually met at Garden State Film Festival a few years ago. And we had actually kept in touch over time because his sensibilities in directing kind of matched my vision of how uh, films should be made. And we've been just kind of excited about doing something together. We've been working on on getting a feature done for a while. Uh, And if anybody knows anything about the industry, they know that getting a feature involves a lot of money and having to go and put your hand out and ask people to help you out when they're going, well, what's my return going to be on this? And you go, it's for the art. Um, And so, you know, uh, he actually happened to be, you want to talk about fortuitous uh, timing. He actually was working on something uh, this past summer and they just, they just wrapped about a week ago 
and he still had access to the camera. Uh, he knew that this was going to happen uh, a few months ago, and he asked if I would write a script yeah, so we could shoot a short, so we could actually just work together. And so I said, yeah, you know, what do you want it to be about? And he said, father and a son, uh, maybe they meet at a restaurant, I don't know. Uh, and there's conflict, right? So I guess you need conflict, right? <laughs> and there's conflict, yeah. father-son conflict. Right. Uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> And so it was like one of these things where I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. That's easy. Not a problem. And uh, literally for days, I just sat there just kind of looking at a blank screen with that little cursor blinking, laughing at me. And um, nothing was coming to mind. And then, you know, as as things for me, the way things happen a lot with my writing is whenever I hit a problem, um, I just let my subconscious take over. And so I really think that the our brains are kind of wired in a weird way. I mean, they're all wired and everybody has a different kind of set of skills. There are some people who can just plow through stuff and I envy them because they tend to be more productive. But for me, it's about throwing it in the back of my brain and working on something else and just waiting for it to kick something out. And sure enough, it's like one of those shower moments where you're just like there, you're like, like shampooing my hair. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I know what I want to do. And I had soap running in my eyes and I'm like, you know, trying to like, get to something where I could just write it down really quickly before I, love I forgot it. I those shower it. moments. Somebody's, yeah. somebody's got to invent a recorder in the shower. A, not a video recorder. A, you know. Uh, that would be put, a little frightening Where you can put case, those, yeah. those immediate ideas in. Yeah. And so I, I came up with something and I was just like, you know, the whole thing about um, fathers and sons is there's, there's a, there are a lot of things that are universal about those relationships, parental relationships, there's a lot of things that when you look at them, no matter where they are on the scale, there tends to be certain things that everybody has. And one of them is that, you know, fathers are always um, a very powerful figure uh, uh, in, in boys' lives. And so no matter what type of a father you are, there's always some sort of effect that you've had on your child because to them, you're the archetype of what it means to be a man. And so, you know, I had a, I had a father who was, uh, he was, he was a staff sergeant in, in the air force. Um, he was a union guy. He was a, he was a train engineer for, for many years. And so he wasn't a shrinking Lily by, by any, <laughs> right. So he, he like grew up on the streets of Hoboken. He was a street fighter and everything else. So, the guy scared the piss out of me all the time. Mm-hmm. And not like because he was violent or anything else, but just I knew this, these things about him and I'd hear stories about him. And so in my head, I built them up to be like this giant thing. And I think that happens with, with a lot of sons is that they're always in the shadow of their fathers until they take responsibility for their own idea of what it means to be a man and they break away. But what happens is sometimes that gets resolved and then you have a great relationship with your father. And sometimes it doesn't get resolved. And that is the thing that you live with for your entire life. And so this one particular um, story that I had is really about, you know, a father and a son who are, they're kind of diametrically opposed politically. Um, I tried to use something that people could identify with very quickly. Um, you know, the father's, uh, you know, he, he wears a MAGA hat. And, you know, he's, he just, so, and, and that's not meant to be, I look down upon any particular type of political bent or anything else. It's really just a way to quickly, in one second, 
have somebody kind of put together an idea of what they what the core um, belief set that these people have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a shortcut mm-hmm. uh, and it's a cheat. But the thing is, when you have a short, you need to do little cheats in order to kind of get people in there. And the son is uh, the son's. Yeah, he. he oh, the the father is. You know, he's he, he he's um, he's ultra right, right wing. Uh, he was a steel worker, so he's a guy who worked with his hands. He was the type of person that believed in using his abilities to actually create something real. Uh, the son is a, um, he's basically a, uh, uh, a talent agent uh, in L.A. He's gay. And, you know, he's trying to reconnect with his father uh, four years after his mother, has, their mother, his mother passed away. And so this is the conflict where, you know, he needs to talk to his father, but there's this, these ideologies that they both have that get in the way of them being able to communicate. And this is kind of a universal thing that I think people are dealing with more so now than ever before. Uh, You hear a lot about people who, you know, we're not having Thanksgiving dinner this year because if my brother comes over and says one thing, I'm going to break a bottle of candy across his face. And, you know, then you ruin the tablecloth. And you don't want that to happen because uh, that's a hand-me-down usually. But the idea is that when you look at these things that people are dealing with, it's important for and, – and here I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox and you can just tell me I'm full of shit, but that's fine. Oh, by the way, am I allowed to curse? Because I do sometimes. Uh, uh, just no F word, please. Okay. Okay. So no Frankenfurters. <laughs> um, so the um, the one thing that I think people have gotten to the point of is actually not trying to breed, to to kind of cross that divide and reconnect uh, with one another. You know, the people that we love, yes, they may believe in something that we don't believe in. Um, or is you know something that is completely uh, anathema to us, but the thing is, we can't allow that to prevent us from from actually seeing the person that we love. You know? So, so you're saying, like, even if if my sensibilities or my philosophies don't really match my characters, mm-hmm. I'm going to show both of those these people equally right. and let the audience. Uh, not decide, but to see that they they both share points of view in this conflict, right? You're not taking a side. Well, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you take a side, then it's a completely different piece. Mm-hmm. The idea is that I built up these two archetypes the way that they are, just so people get a quick idea of who they are. Mm-hmm. But the real the real tragedy of of anything like that is that people get a chance. You know, people miss out on the chance to reconnect at a personal level. Uh, with the ones that they love because they've allowed these ideologies to get in their way. Ah, and uh, well, that's incredibly topical right now where mm-hmm. we've got you know, families breaking up around the dinner table because of political mm-hmm. differences, you know? I mean, and friends yeah. that, you know, I, you and I have probably seen it with our contemporaries because we're, you know, our generation, we're all buzzing about this right now. We can't right. shut up, you know? And, uh, and, and it's split up a lot of people. So yeah. that's that's interesting. You're saying, look, that relationship is is a relationship, whether you like it or not, right? Right. I mean, if you know somebody for for 30 years, and then you find out, well, he voted for X Y Z, so I can't talk to him anymore. 
that's not a problem with your friend. That's a problem with you. <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. I think that a lot of people don't want to admit that. Right. Because the thing is, there was a reason why you were friends with this person. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, you can't really choose your family. But the thing is, family is extremely important because at some point, they have to be there for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, it's like when, when you're, you know, the, the way I always talk about it is like my older brother and I, we, had, we, we have a relationship that, that is kind of contentious. It's always been that way since we were kids. Cause we were like 15 months apart. So it's always, Oh, your bills, bro- your bills, brother. And I'm like, Oh God, no, I'm Keith. You know, right, it's like, right. but, um, you know, the thing is, I know that if something were to happen, he would be there for me in, in a heartbeat sure. and same on my side. Um, but but people are allowing that to be torn apart because of their ideology. And what I'm trying to point out is not, you know, I hate this ideology. No, the, the problem, the thing that you should be hating is the fact that you've invested so much in this ideology that you will no longer allow that relationship to occur. You know, this, okay, so remember, getting back to why are we mm. talking about this? We're talking about this because this is the subject matter of your short. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when it comes to something that isn't like, one-liner high concept, right? right? Um, and you, you're not in space. Um, there isn't a big uh, M. Night twist at the end of this. What you, what, the way that you pitched it, I mm. thought was very good. You know, you're, you're saying, you know, this was me. This is these, here are these two people, and they're like this, and these are the themes that I'm trying to get out. And it immediately makes me, as the listener, go, oh, that connects with things that I'm experiencing, too. I will take a look at your short, you know, it's hard to get people to look at short content. And, but I think that the way that you're doing it, uh, you know, it, it, it makes it sound really interesting. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, and this is kind of coming back to, to what, what you do, um, you know, because, uh, you know, like, like you said, you know, I've, I've actually taken your classes. I've learned a lot from you, not just from that, but also, you know, from your writing, you know, when, when I was in, uh, your writing group for a little while and everything else. A lot of things solidified that I had never had a, an opportunity to do before. And one thing that I learned by doing a short is that, you know, we always talk about, okay, well, you've got this, you've got this, this long form 90 minute, you know, 90 page script that you're going to do. And we talk about all the different, you know, the three act structure and this, that, and the other thing. One of the things that I found really compelling about a short that I'm actually going to bring back into my writing now is, with a short, you have, you know, X number of pages in order to do everything. And usually what happens is you try to, you try to build up, you try to put little, little, you know, breadcrumbs along the way. And then you have something that's kind of a twist at the end that kind of changes your perception from where it was in, on the onset. And so now it's like, I want to go back and start looking at my scripts and like start breaking it down into these little vignettes and using that same type of sensibility to make sure that my characters, because you could get a lot of richness in your characters just by looking at them as, as small subsets and then putting that into the larger whole. Right? And, bread, and, and putting those breadcrumbs in, like you mm. said, like you might have, you know, big picture to the point where there aren't any surprises. But if you have those little steps along the way, mm-hmm. just as you would do with a short, that can help with your storytelling. Yeah. So, you know, actually, because a lot of times when I would write, especially when I would get like well into act two, you know, you just have these like, you feel like there's this this vast barren wasteland that you're just trying to get across. And you're like, oh, let me just keep typing past this until I get to the turn, you know, and you're like, 
and, and so you do. And so what happens is there's like this, you know, you get like four or five, sometimes more pages where it's just like there's nothing happening, but you just want to fill the space. And now what I want to do is I want to go back and take a look in, at some of that stuff where I had difficulties and say, well, you know, if I were to cut just this part out, you know, these 12 pages and make it into a short, um, where would I start? Where would I end up? You know, how would the character change over that one thing? Instead of looking at this long 90 page arc, let me just look at like 12 pages Nice. and just let me see what I can do here in order to make it really worthwhile. Like if somebody watched 12 minutes of my film and it was this 12 minutes, I'd want them to walk out going, wow, you know, I really wish I knew more about these characters. I, I wish there was more for me to see. And so now it's like I started going back and looking at some of my other scripts. And, you know, some of them are like, yeah, they start off like gangbusters. And then it's, oh, my God. you know. <laughs> and so now it's like, wait a minute, let me actually take a look at this, this one section. What is it about this section that's so slow? What, what isn't happening here? And so by looking at it as, as like smaller pieces, it actually it, it makes it easier to, to go back and fix rather than saying, well, how do I do this over, you know, 80 pages, 90 right. pages. Now I'm just looking at 12 and it's like, oh, okay, I, I know what I need to do. So, so uh, how did it feel being on set? With, with this. I mean, there's, there's what's on the page and then suddenly you're doing it. How did that, how, what was that like for you? Um, well, first, first of all, there was a lot of pre-production stuff that I, that I worked with. Um, and so a lot of it was, I mean, you want to talk about roller coaster ride. Do we have enough money? Do we have a place? Do we have people? And you, know, you go back and forth, I think all the way up until two days before shooting, we didn't have a makeup artist or there's a third uh, actor that we need who actually plays Doris, who's the, uh, she's the waitress. That's kind of like the, she's like the audience's entry vehicle into what's going on. You know, she, she comes by the table to like help out and you actually see a lot of it through her eyes. Oh, interesting. And so, um, all the way up until I think two days before we had one actress who she's like, Oh, I just got something that's like, you know, going to pay better. Bye. You oh, know? No, no. And so, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, the, the, this other woman came in and this woman, Jennifer, who just, I mean, she's just a fantastic job. Actually, all the actors, actually the entire, everybody was awesome. Right. So, uh, Foka, the director was like, you know, I've never had, a production that's come together like this so well. He goes, literally everybody got along. There was like no issues. Everybody just, I mean, when we just banged it out. And, um, but yeah, so being on set. So one of the first things that, that, um, that you learn is that, you know, you could write something out and you have two choices. You could be collaborative or you could be protective. And if you're protective, people aren't going to want to work with you because you're in there telling everybody, no, I meant it this way. You got to say it that way and everything else. Um, part of being a writer is living that, that kind of fantasy world that you put together and then letting it go. And sometimes that could be, that could be very difficult. I remember there was one point where they, they were doing rehearsals and, you know, the, the director was, I mean, just such a great guy. And he allowed me to kind of come into the process. And at one point, as we were getting ready to shoot, you know, you know, the night before the shoot, he's like, uh, he goes, Keith, you know, um, you know, he's like, you know, we're going to do another, we're going to do a final rehearsal beforehand. I said, Oh, great. I go, where are you going to do it? And he's like, I want to do it without you. I just, <laughs> and I'm like, 
And like the first thing that you get is like, oh, wait, wait, what did, what did I do? Moi? Yeah. And he said, look, he goes, as, you, as a director, he goes, there's not going to be anyone else. It's going to be me. It's going to be, it's going to be the actors. But I want them to feel like there's one voice. And so I told him, I said, look, I go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you because I, I believe in, in honesty, sometimes brutally so, right? But uh, I said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I go, my first reaction is one of why, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I said, but I, I told him, I, I understand your process. Um, I was actually a classically trained actor before I had gone into writing, uh, mainly because there was no money. And I kind of liked having a car and someplace that I could stay by myself, right? Um, and so, you know. You mean Shakespeare yeah. can't give you a living? I'm so confused. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, you know, that's one of the realities. And um, I told him, I said, look, I go, I don't want you to mistake it for me being, you know, upset or, or anything else. I mean, not that you have to care, but I just want you to know that I trust you. That's what I told him. I, said, I trust you. I said, but I'm a person, I'm a human being, and there's this little part of my brain that's always jealous or something. And I said, I just want you to know that I think that's great. And uh, yeah, go and do it. Mm-hmm. And um, he came back afterwards. He goes, I really appreciate it that you're able to do that. He goes, I think you're going to be very happy tomorrow when we start shooting. And uh, the next morning, you know, I was, uh, we were up, we had a 6.30 call, get to the place, absolutely amazing place called uh, it's called rick's roadside cafe in pinion hills uh friendliest people you know it's about an hour and a half outside of la and we got there and i'm like looking at it and it's kind of strange because you know you write stuff as a description and you know anybody who gets into too much detail when they're in description it it actually you're you're going to be disappointed Mm -hmm. and so again you just try and figure out like what are the important things that need to be known? So I think, you know, the, the description was like, you know, a, a dusty desert diner, you know, next to a, you know, you, you see the shimmering black top and everything else. So dusty desert diner, like right yeah. away, like that gives you an image and it could be set anywhere. It gives you a, a sense of, of uh, mood mm-hmm. as well. Dusty. Yeah. yeah. And that the writer likes alliteration. Yes. He's probably a pain in the butt to work with. So, uh, yeah, so, but yeah, so, you know, these were the things that like, you know, you, you put them in, you put them on the page and in your head, you have, you have one image, you try and get it, you try and get it down in the basis form that you can on the page. And then somebody finds that diner and you're like, you look at it and you're like, oh, that image that I had in my head has changed and it's now this place. And you know, we started shooting and, you know, the, the actors had come up to me and they're like, we just want to let you know that we think this is an incredible script. Aww. Yeah, I know. It's like humble bragging here. But this was actually the things that they said to me. And I'm like sitting there and I, I have problems kind of accepting praise. So I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, they went through it and, you know, it was two days of shooting, you know, 12 hours each day, just about. And... um you know, there's there's this one part. They actually shot um, the ending yesterday morning. It was one of the first shots, and um, you know, the actor that did it, it just he just broke my heart. And uh, you know, it was more than I had thought that I would be able to to do. Did, did the script change in the in the process? Very little. Ah, well, that's um, good. That that shows that there was an economy there. You didn't have to cut as you went. No. Yeah. 
Good. No, but I do actually have a funny story about one one of the things because at the end, you know, they try and do all the all the important shots that they need, and then you know some of the little niceties that you have that you throw in. There was this one part where, um, true to the stuff that you talk about, you know, oh, the knife gleams, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things that I had was I was trying to figure out, well, how do you show like as the son is waiting for the father to come, how do you show the passage of time? without a clock ticking, you oh, know, God. or something stupid, right? Yeah. And so I just had this one this one thing where, you know, we you know, the the waitress puts down this glass of water and as he's sitting there waiting, uh, a bead of condensation runs down the side. Nice. Right? So, you know, the idea is, you know, condensation usually doesn't happen immediately, right? You know, it takes a couple minutes, you know. And so I have this I had this great thing and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. 35 takes. Yeah. For the beat of con, con- thirty five takes. I can't even say it. Yeah, condensation. Yes. Wow. Thirty five takes. Oh, so your your big artistic transition. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. So why? What, what is it about condensation? Or was this was this a, just a difficult glass of water to work with? Yeah, you know, it wanted its own trailer. Yeah. And, uh, so it's like only green M and M's. I was like, oh. no. Um, apparently, um, waiting for condensation is like waiting for paint to dry. It never happens on its own. So the AD would dip his finger in the glass and then touch the side of it and try and get his hand out of frame quickly enough that they could watch it run down. Oh, my God. Well, apparently, uh, sometimes he was too fast. Sometimes he pushed the glass, and so they were like, up, oh, continuity, pull it back. You know? Oh, my God. Um, there was one time when, when they said, there's another, con- there's another bead that keeps, that's showing up in frame. Where the hell is it? And it was actually inside the glass. And, and yeah, so 35 takes. Oh, my God. And it was the second to last shot that we had uh, you know, before we wrapped. And so... Uh, after, I mean, people were getting frustrated on set. You know, the, the, uh, the cinematographer is like, oh, do we really need to do this? Right. And, and thankfully, you know, folk understood the importance of it. And so after it was all done, you know, it, there was still a lot of tension on the set. And I'm like, you know, who's the asshole that wrote that scene, right? <laughs> and so, like, everybody turned and looked at me and they started laughing. And it yeah. kind of broke it. And... Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting that um, it, it's the little things that you don't think are going to be a big problem. Like, in your head, you're like, I could do anything. Right, right, right. And then, you know, reality comes crashing in, and then you're like, ooh, you know, how bad is this going to be? And then, then you find out 35 takes bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and literally with a reset every single time. And, you know, it's... but. But it, but it hasn't put it. you off of uh, taking your stuff and actually making your movies out of it. Like now mm. you're in independent film mode with mm. this, so now you're talking about also doing a feature because you've you've had this this experience, right? Yeah, and I'm going to have conden- glasses of condensation in like every single one. Yes, of my I films think it's going to be called condensation, yeah, right? That, yeah. With so, the glasses well, that's on the, the working poster. title. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, you know, and, and that's actually one of the things that, you know, it's interesting you talk about independent film, it's, and I think it's actually pretty important to talk about because for years I've been, you know, I've done the pitch fests, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've gone to film festivals, I've talked to people, um, I've optioned a bunch of screenplays, and with all the money that I made for optioning screenplays, I could maybe buy a latte, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, the thing is, it's very difficult to get something original made, especially if a lot of the stuff that you're doing is, is not, it's not a four-poster, I mean, a four-quadrant, uh, four yeah. you know, film. And so, 
you know, high concept is great, but I think that part of storytelling for me, uh, I mean, obviously people who are, who are writing, they're all going to have their own ideas of what to do. But for me, I like the personal. Um, I like drama uh, only because there's reality that we have day to day in life that we don't know what to do with. Uh, and by living vicariously through the people we see on screen, we can help to resolve some of our own issues. I mean, that was really what, I mean, it kind of goes back to the ancient Greeks. It was like this idea of, you know, just being able to purge the emotions through, through the stuff that they saw. I kind of, I'm a big proponent of that because I think that we've forgotten how to kind of let off the, the, you know, the pressure cooker, how to let some of that steam out. And um, so I think that for me, when I was growing up, that was like a very important way. You know, movies were an important way for me to kind of get through some of the emotions that I had. Um, yeah, I know. It's, I, no, <laughs> but I mean, it goes back to, you know, why, you're, why you did this, the short, how you're pitching that short, what you're yeah. trying to explore. And if you're doing a, a feature, uh, you're, you know, you've, you're, people are starting to understand your brand. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the question you're trying to to answer in right. your in your movies, right? And why you think you're making this movie to begin with, right? It's a reflection of of what everybody else is going through and the characters are playing it out. Now that said, what do you want your your feature to actually focus on? Can you give us the logline or is that like Oh yeah, for so now? so basically the the feature that we're that it's actually written, I think we're doing some tweaks to the ending right now, but it's basically about a guy that's a, he's a managerial consultant that he comes in to shut down buildings after there's been massive layoffs. And in the building that he's currently, you know, kind of shutting down, he finds a 12 year old girl squatting in it. Wow. And so, uh, the idea is that there's fallout from, from capitalism, right? This idea that, you know, if, you know, two companies merging, I mean, it might be great for the stock or the bottom line or anything else, but that means nothing compared to, to how it affects people. And when you look at, you know, when you have layoffs of, you know, 15,000 people in a particular area, those are 15,000 lives multiplied by however many lives that their lives touched that are being affected in, an, in a negative way. And we forget that. And we celebrate the idea of, oh, well, NBC Universal just bought DreamWorks, you know. And it's like, well, okay, um, how many people at DreamWorks lost their jobs because of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and that's just in, in our industry, right? They, but you start looking at it in terms of manufacturing and everything else. These are really the things that, that nobody focuses on. You know, you, you hear politicians talk about, ah, we need jabs. No, it's not about jabs. It's really about why don't we learn to take care of the people that, that have spent their lives at these companies that are no longer employed. You know, you hear about people losing their homes. You hear about people, you know, I feel like I'm going on a political side here. I I I want to go go back to the 12 year old girl. So the 12 year old girl is a byproduct of a layoff. Yeah. So her mom was actually the, um, she was the, uh, the assistant to the CEO, uh, after they got laid off, uh, after she lost her job, she lost her house. Um, she was, uh, she actually suffered from depression, so she wound up committing suicide. And so this girl is now living in the office where her mom used to work because she she has you know she was in foster care. 
you know, things happened in foster care she didn't like, so she's living here in this building. And, you know, this is kind of the, um, the reality is she has nowhere else to go. Her, you know, her life has been set into turmoil. And, um, you know, the guy, this guy, Jack, who is the consultant, you know, he's, he's actually on the road all the time because he's trying to, he's avoiding, um, his marriage after the death of his son. And so this is kind of his, his exile, his self, you know, imposed exile because he can't, he can't walk past his son's room anymore. You know, it's, it's just too much of a heartbreak for him. And so now here he has this opportunity to, to save this girl. And so this is the conflict. It's like, do I do right by my company or do I do right by being a human being and taping, taking care of this girl who's, you know, not old enough to take care of herself. Well put. Well, yeah. oh my goodness. Well described. Yeah. So uh, you're actually, part of your LA visit is you're also some, taking some meetings yes. for this feature. Yes. So uh, again, you've got the Dutch director who's attached as yeah. well. And then um, are, you're taking meetings. Are you trying to get other producer attachments or what, what are, what are the, uh, what's the intention of the meetings? Well, so... We had actually had some interest uh, for some for of uh, a couple of actors um, that were, you know, pretty well known, uh, and so we were just trying to trying to kind of package something so that we could actually bring it to a higher level, uh, you know, because right now, I mean, the, originally what we were looking at was trying to do a modified low budget film. Uh, we were actually able to get enough money that we could actually do that, but then when we started looking at some of the talent that was interested in it, we're like. You know, we go back to them and they're like, yeah, your whole budget isn't enough to pay for this one person. Mm-hmm. And we're like, yeah, but he wants character. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants story. He wants, you know, independent film. And, and uh, the guy's like, yeah, well, I want my commission. You know, <laughs> you know. So what we're trying to do is trying to get a little bit more interest in it. Uh, I have a meeting with a producer tonight. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, th- this is the reality of, of the business. Um, a lot of it has to do with, do you find somebody who's of like mind who goes, yeah, you know what? That's important. Or they go, yeah, nobody wants to see that. It's a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or you get something where it's like, well, come back when you have somebody else attached. And so there's a lot of catch 22 in the stuff that you do in, in the industry. And so, and I found out, uh, very quickly that going around gatekeepers makes the gatekeepers really fight against you. Yeah. And so, um, and even though sometimes things are just a fortuitous meeting, you bump into somebody on the streets of New York and you're like, Hey, aren't you so-and-so? It's like, yeah. You know, and you just wind up talking to them and they're like, wow, that's, that's really, that's a fascinating story. I'd love to read it. And then they're like, you know, Call my agent, you know, or call my manager, mm-hmm. and you know, you call it their and manager. We, are, you know. we have established that you are Mister Fortuitous. Yes, you know, you're. Uh, <laughs> well, I believe in creating my own luck. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I stalk people. Uh, <laughs> no, I do not. But I, I do happen to because I'm in the city all the time. Uh, now, just so everybody listening, the city means New York City. It, no matter where you are. You know what? I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> I will. I love LA, but yeah, I know what we're talking about when we talk yeah. about the city. And so, you know, you tend to bump into people that, you know, you, you know, and they tend to be more relaxed because it's not L.A., you know, it's, it's, it's New York. And as long as, you know, you're just a decent person and you treat people with respect, you find that a lot of people are very open to talk to you about mm-hmm. things. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I, 
what I realized is that by kind of throwing my wishes to the stars and, you know, oh, I'm going to do a pitch fest. I'm going to do it for me. Mm-hmm. Now this, yeah, other people will find their own. Everybody has their own path. Right. Sure. Um, I am not a patient person. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, it's, you know, I got to wait three months before I could find out if I won this writing contest. I don't have time for that. I'm like, <laughs> it's like a, three months is like an eternity for me. So what I try to do is I, I've, I've decided um, I'm going to try and take as much into my own hands as I possibly can. And so that means going out and meeting people, talking to them, you know, telling my stories and then, um, and then trying to convert whatever comes my way into something that, that can help me get the next day, you know, the next step along the line. This has been inspiring. I am really glad, uh, my Lyft driver, uh, <laughs> dropped me off exactly when he did. This is perfect because another thing too, is mm. I always come around the back of the studio and I just happen to come around the front of the studio yeah. and there you go. There you go. So I got to bump into you and find out this incredible story. How many more days are you in town and how many more meetings you got lined up and things like that? I've got two more meetings lined up. Uh, I, for Monday morning, I leave Monday afternoon. I fly back to my day job. Uh, you know, it's a pitch for you. Right. Okay, so sure. I know that you've got another book coming out. I do. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, but the coffee break screenwriter, it's it, the reality is, you know, you can actually write a script in that time frame. I, I write on the train. I, you know, I take the train into the city every morning. It's an hour. I sit there. I, I've, now it's my iPad. Yeah. I do stuff on my iPad, which is horrible to type with. But, um, you know, I, I just use that time. Um, I'm also a longhand writer. So I have a whole bunch of, you know, notebooks that I fill up and, um, you know, I just use that time. You, you grab it where, where you can. I have people who, you know, they, they have the opportunity to work on, on writing full time for whatever reason, whatever their situation is. Uh, I don't have that, that ability. I think most people don't. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't stop anybody from writing. If you have a great idea, if you have what you think is a great idea, if, you know, you have just a, a vision in your head of, something that you want to kind of put out into the world, you don't need months of isolation in order to do it. You literally need 10 minutes. You, you, you need a train ride. You need, you know, it's like, I'm going to do this on my lunch break. You know, there, there is time to tell your stories. And I think that what happens is that most people think because I need to have these long stretches of time to do it, they use it as an excuse not to. Mm-hmm. And the reality is you can write compelling uh, stories in a few minutes a day, and it adds up. Um, the short that I wrote, uh, it's a total of 12 pages. Um, I wrote the first six in a, just in a rush. Mm-hmm. Um, sent the first six pages over. Focal looked at it. He goes, this is great. I love where it's going. When am I going to get the rest? And I'm like, soon. You know, I, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So uh, I pushed him off. He kept calling. And I'm like, he's like, oh, I want to read the rest. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost done. It's almost done. It wasn't almost done. <laughs> uh, you know, because that's the way I write. Again, it's, you know, it's, it was in the back of my brain. And then one day I was like, 
I know where this has to go. You took another shower, didn't you? There you yeah, go. you know, every couple of weeks I take one, you know. <laughs> I should probably take it more often. I'd be more productive. Uh, but, you know, I sent it off to him and he read it and he's like, he's like, this is good. I'm like, oh, no, it's good. Oh, no. Yeah. He's like, he goes, I, he goes, it's too Hollywood. Oh, interesting. He goes, you know, this ending is, you know, it's too this, it's too that. He goes, I, I really would like something that's, that feels more real. And so... I was like, yeah, damn it. People who are like holding me accountable to a higher standard, which by the way is, is an incredible thing. If you have somebody, find somebody who doesn't say, oh yeah, I liked it. Mm -hmm. You know, say, well, you know, it was good, but this part didn't work. Right. And as difficult as that is to hear, you got to kind of get rid of the ego and because there's truth in that. And, um, you know, I said, all right, let me think about it. And uh, again, he's like, uh, I was like, yeah, I'll have it in a couple of days. Wasn't a couple of days. It was a couple of weeks, but I was like really, really banging at it, trying to figure it out. And then again, it was like uh, you know, just one day I'm like, I, I, I think I was, I was at work, and I was. It was actually work avoidance that actually did this. I was like, oh, I really need to do this report and get this stuff out. And then I'm like, yeah, screw that. I'm going to work on my script. And you know, I sat there, and again, you know, it was like my my lunch break, you know, and I'm like sitting at it. And I'm like, what is it about these characters that that really would be true. And um, I looked at it and I said, you know what? You know, the, the idea that your protagonist is the one who suffers the most, right? I'm like, what would really make this person suffer the most? And I said, the missed opportunity between his father and him. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah. And then, and then I wrote it like overnight and I sent it off and I, you know, the next day I talked to the director and he's just like, yeah, this is going to be good. And you get lucky. Well, I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad I didn't miss an opportunity with you. Uh -huh. Very I, nice. You are, this was an inspiring episode. Thank you so much. I feel really lucky mm -hmm. that I bumped into you and that you had such an interesting story for people. Um, you know, and yeah, you're, everybody's trying to do this and mm -hmm. you're actually doing it. Congratulations. Yeah. I thank you, Pilar. Where should people get in touch with you? Are you are you a tweeter these days? Or are you uh, do you have a website? Do you like is there well let's just say this. Let's say that somebody listening really loved your pitch of your feature mm -hmm. and actually has the power to do something about it or or uh, you know, contribute to a Kickstarter campaign in the future or something like that. Where would they get in touch? Um well I uh, I do do the tweeting thing. I'm not I'm not consistent on it. Uh, I I'm not I don't know. I'm not. I, I don't feel the need to constantly put stuff out about myself. So. Sure, but why don't we put that um, Twitter handle out anyway, just so, in case somebody wants to go? Hey, Adam Boy Keith. Yeah. Is that so, good? Yeah. So they could listen to your podcast over and over again as I spell my name. So it's uh, <laughs> ready. It's, yeah. So it's uh, K A R M O N A I T I S. So it's K Armanitis. Um, I had trouble spelling it until I was like in the third or fourth grade. So I know everyone's <laughs> going to get it wrong. Um, but if you really want to, to tell Keith how great this is, you will listen back. 
and, yes. <laughs> and get it right. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, because you just never know. You know, yeah. you know being Mr. Fortuitous, um, there could be somebody out there who's listening at just the right moment. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to remind everybody who's listening to go to onthepage.tv to check out the in-person classes and writing marathons at the studio, the recorded classes, the first 200 episodes of the podcast that you might not have heard, and the Patreon page where you can support the show to receive goodies. Uh, right now I'm signing people up. Well, actually I think this will probably be the last week and I'll be signing people up for the two day rewrite class. And, uh, that is November 18th and 19th. Even if you're from New Jersey, you can come on <laughs> over and make your vacation. Come take class. Um, I want to thank my guest, Keith Armonitis once again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pilar. What a pleasure. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Have a good writing week.